0: Welcome to Been There, Done That, the Pandemic Survival Podcast. In this show, we'll be talking to some real-life experts on how to get through this time filled with unexpected changes, challenges, and maybe even feelings of hopelessness. And those experts are everyday people like you and me. Turns out we may be more prepared for this moment than we realize. So let's get started and see what we can relearn. Join me now in welcoming to our show today, my friend Chris. Thank you so much for being with us today. Could you maybe describe where you're located right now geographically and also in whatever dwelling
1: or building you happen to be in? Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, First and foremost, um, Chris, I'm here in uh, Boston, Massachusetts Um, in my apartment. Um, I live in a, in a house, um, that has three floors. Each apartment is a different family and we're all folks of color from the neighborhood. And yeah, I'm, I'm here, uh, quarantined.
0: And, and so you're in Boston right now and you say that you're quarantined. What, what is the current status right now in Boston and in Massachusetts for isolation and, um, are you being told you have to shelter in place? Are there any sort of, you know, city-wide or statewide mandates or recommendations? Where are things at right now?
1: Yeah, mostly folks are being asked to stay home, uh, to go show, shopping once a week. Uh, most, most stores open up extra early for uh, seniors and folks who are more vulnerable so they don't have to be in an overly crowded kind of grocery store. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, they've been doing that, um, and they, they've they mostly just kind of asked people to stay home. And it's one of those things where there aren't that many cases, but you don't really know, just like everywhere else in the country, because they're not yeah. testing folks for COVID-19. They're testing you for strap and for flu, and those come negative, so they diagnose you by process of elimination, uh, And and not that many people are getting tested anyway, so... Um, it's just one of those things where you have to be extra careful, especially uh, you know if you're immunocompromised or older, and even younger folks too. I've I've heard some stories of folks who are younger, pretty healthy, and they got wrecked uh, by the. Yeah,
0: boy. I mean it's it's been it's been super interesting to notice and to track this. You know, um, for folks listening, Chris and I uh, met many years ago, uh, sort of nerding out on a training about narrative and story. Um, and one of the things that I have been noticing in doing um, what we refer to in our day-to-day interactions and, and work in the space where Chris and I met as a narrative power analysis, what what I've been noticing is that when the stories of people needing to be concerned and thoughtful and prepared for this moment. There was such a high um, focus on really talking about characters in the story where the definition and the descriptions were elderly, elderly, elderly. So this is really um, hard and important for people who are older, who can't maybe fight this very um, effectively or efficiently. And so all of us who are not, elders in our communities should know that we're doing things for them, not for us. And I felt like watching that was a super dangerous thing to do because it felt very similar to what had been happening during um, the early days of HIV um, and AIDS coming out where it was, it was, it was a gay cancer. So as long as you're not practicing, you know, gay uh, sex, you're good, or as long as you're not a heroin junkie and sharing needles, you're good. And so then everybody else could just ignore it. And so, yes, we are seeing now people who are 15 years old, no underlying pre-existing conditions, dying from COVID-19. And I feel like that there's some responsibility for those of us who were telling a story where the only victims were ever going to be elders was a big, huge mistake. What, right. What, Sorry, go ahead. No, please, I, I'm, I'm asking what, what do you think? What, what have been your observations? What
1: have you noticed as like, that was not such a smart thing to do? I think it's because we don't quite know what healthy really means. I think that in the context of the conversation so far, healthy means that you don't have a disease. Healthy means that you don't have an autoimmune condition but the fact that you haven't been diagnosed with something like multiple sclerosis or rheumatoid arthritis doesn't mean that your body's working properly. We live in an age where most of our food is processed, which affects our gut bacteria, which affects our metabolism, which affects our immune systems. You know, there, there's a ton of factors that go into how our bodies work, and I, and I think that might have something to do with it. And then the other thing that I've noticed in young people who get it? Who gets super wrecked by the virus is that they get it in combination with pneumonia. Um, it's not COVID nineteen by itself, at least from what I've seen. Right? It's and it's not this is not factual information at all. Um, but it, it's the combination of of, of the COVID nineteen with pneumonia that that really takes people down. Uh, yeah, I mean. That's, that's interesting because that is also like what has happened in
0: other times where basically what COVID-19 does, much like what HIV, um, we eventually learned, uh, does still, since HIV is still here, is still a disease um, that is still transmitted. We have no cure for it, um, even over 20 years later, and um, is that it's not HIV that kills you. HIV affects your immune system and all these other things that you are now susceptible to is what kills you. And so COVID-19 on its own, isn't what is your cause of death? It's that it attacks particular organs in your body. And that is then how you die. So you get pneumonia as a result of having Mm COVID-19, right? And so it gets, it gets complicated as to what is the cause Mm-hmm. of your illness? What is the cause of your ability to be so um, vulnerable mm-hmm. to these things? And I, I really appreciate you zooming us out for a little bit to really think about what is, what is the bigger sort of assumption in these stories and in this narrative right now. And that is that there's an assumption that we all understand and agree upon what it means to be
1: healthy. Right. So- you might not have, uh, multiple sclerosis, but the standard American diet is mostly trash, you know, and, and a ton of people who live in poor neighborhoods who are not making a living wage, uh, don't have access to real food. And I think that their health suffers from that too. Uh, you know, I mean, I live in a neighborhood where kids are born with asthma, like the, that's how bad it is. How, how bad the air quality is. So, um, there's a ton of, of factors that I think that uh, shouldn't be undermined and, and that go beyond age, you know, and because we don't live in a healthy environment at all, so we can't expect to nurture healthy human beings, right? So I think so if, that, you're, if you're born,
0: if you're born with a disease, you're born already without, <laughs> yeah, then, then we're setting things up. And, and I've been having these interviews and these conversations and something that keeps surfacing over and over again, is the idea that um, you cannot right now, and as things continue to progress in a downward spiral, we cannot say that it's COVID-19 that is actually the biggest danger to folks. Because like you said, that that young person who was born with asthma, they were already hurt. They, They are already not, were folks who weren't born with asthma, uh, are at. And so we're, we're out the gate uneven. And so we're going to start to see more and more if folks are kicked out of their homes, that it was homelessness that killed them. As people are not able to get food because they lost their jobs and we're not helping them with accessing food or getting money, it's going to be um, the fact that they were hungry that killed them. If right. we don't you know talk to people and people are in complete isolation and alone and they don't know how to ask for help and they can't get it they're going to be dying of other things and so all these other problems that we're learning not enough ventilators people are scared to go out to um, receive health care because they don't want the bill people don't want to leave their homes because they're afraid someone's going to know their migrant and citizenship status like there are other things that are surfacing as the real underlying problems during right. this time. Um, right.
1: So yeah, the root is that we essentially created a system that doesn't appreciate life itself. That's the root of the problem. Um, because nothing around us is conducive to survival, right? Like everyone who's sick is like, well, they're probably gonna die. Like most people who I know who have family members, or who themselves are, uh, you know, at high risk, are at a place where, like, well, if I get it, if, if, some, if one of my loved ones get it, I'm probably gonna die from it, and my body's gonna remain somewhere in isolation, and my body, my family's never gonna have access to it, or at least not for a long time. Like that's that's like kind of the accepted faith, and and that's a huge reflection that that at some point the decision was made to build a system that doesn't nurture it people, that doesn't nurture life, that doesn't appreciate it, that takes it for absolutely for granted, and that just sees it as a, as a fuel to be burned until we can't go any longer. You know? And
0: that, that explains the two different sides of the story that we're hearing. So if you have been in, grown up, born into, are currently residing in a marginalized or intersection of marginalized communities right now, you already know, I get this, I'm done. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, those folks who've had all the access and all the privilege their entire life are thinking, if I get this, I bet you I'm going to be fine. So we've got leaders of foreign countries right now who are testing positive and no one seems to be worried. Mm -hmm. We have people in our own legislation, uh, representatives, um, staffers of different representative offices are sick. They don't seem to be worried. And I, I, I fear that what's going to happen is those with the most privilege who are able to get the best medicine, and including a ventilator, by the way, and are able to have already a better sort of, quote, healthy body because of all the access that they've had to things, they're going to get COVID-19 and they're going to come out of it alive. And they're going to use that as the way to, see, to say, see? this is why this was all blown out of proportion. I'm fine.
1: Right. And, and what helps uphold that narrative is the fact that we're already in a pandemic, right? Cause we go outbreak, endemic, pandemic. And when you reach a point of pandemic, it's a fact that people will die. So, to say, hey, this wasn't that bad, I survived. Sure, some people die, but that's part of the pandemic phenomenon, you know, we're fine. So I think that it's weird because the nature of the situation can uphold these really bizarre narratives. Um, Right, right. It it worries me, Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, because like you said, we're in a pandemic, which means it's already bad. Everybody who, the fact that we got to the place of a pandemic means that our leaders And folks that we entrusted to keep us safe already failed. Right. So even if many of us are able to come on the other side of this and be alive, we could maybe be happy and grateful that we're still here. But there is still an accountability session that needs to be held because we should not have ever been placed in a position where we are thankful that we made it out of the storm. And so that's what, that's what my biggest fear is going to happen, right? Like you get out of the storm and you're like, phew, it's like, you're in a car, you're in a car with a bunch of people and you know that the person who's driving had too much to drink and is inebriated and you Mm -hmm. don't say anything or you try and say something, but you stay in the car and now you're in the car and you get in a massive accident and you walk away from the accident and you go, well, at least I survived that accident instead of, great i survived this accident and where the hell is the driver because right. we need to talk about the fact that i never should have been in this position to begin
1: with right right well great and then, okay <laughs> and, and what's crazy is that right that's the macro level right um mm-hmm. and then the stuff trickles down right <laughs> to yeah. the the micro level so what do all these? what what do all those giant dynamics start looking like on the street you know at the grocery store you know like um I think I think people are really scared and feel a lot of uncertainty right now and it's around everything around resources around their health around life around information who do I believe what do I believe where do I go where do I stay it's it's wild you know I'm originally from Chile, and I've been following the news about how my home country is kind of treating the thing. And, you know, the, the, um, uh, the, the.
0: Yeah, what's the story? What is happening in Chile? How, how are people faring there?
1: I'm trying to figure out, cause uh, the government system is different, but I guess the equivalent of like the vice president uh, mm-hmm. said that quarantining is a hoax. Uh-huh. A hoax? Yeah, because so Chile has like a kind of like a uh, Trumpesque type administration at the mm-hmm. moment, mm-hmm. not quite as blatantly like clownish, mm-hmm. but but on the same course of action and, and thought process, uh, if that makes sense. Just a different demeanor. Um, mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, so they're kind of like whatever. Uh, but I guess there's been so much social unrest recently in the country that people are kind of like, really, bro, like, you're really just not taking this seriously. So there's been uh, uh, a a kind of a a change in the way that things are being talked about and folks are being asked uh, to stay home now. And I think there might be um, a quarantine in place pretty soon. Um, Chile is also where recently in this last year,
0: it it was the epicenter of this massive mobilization of women. You know, like gathering together in physical proximity, taking up large amounts of space and learning a dance in the song that essentially yeah. was calling out elected officials and people in power for mm-hmm. being just as guilty um, and responsible for women dying, for sexual assaults. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's where it comes from. And it feels like, yeah, so different issue. But that same sort of, you know, call out of elected officials needing to be held responsible for the harm that they are a part of by being barriers to justice and keeping people safe um, definitely feels like I'm I'm not shocked, in other words, that Chile would um, have a hesitancy to doing the right thing, but that then they would be forced into something different.
1: Right. You know what's wild is that there was a a giant mobilist, feminist uh, mobilization in Latin America on the 8th of March. And it was kind of right before this whole COVID-19 thing went viral. Mm-hmm. And there were a number of cities throughout Latin America where like at least a million women congregated. And I was like, wow, that I'm so relieved that COVID-19 didn't make it to Latin America like that early. Otherwise, it's like the whole movement would have gotten it because it was, you know...
0: Particularly all these women.
1: Yeah, like millions of people. Like it would have been wild. Um, And it happened right before. I'm like, talk about
0: there's a lot of very interesting (laughs) sequential (laughs) sequential things that have gotten us here. You're absolutely right. So here's, here's my question for you, Chris. Um, does right now and what's happening right now, um, really being uncertain about the future unclear as to how bad it's going to get and how, how anything good can come from it. Um, Have you experienced a time in your life where the feelings that you are having right now feel similar to feelings that you had at a different time? And I see you smiling and nodding your head. And so I want you to think about that moment. And I want you to remember what it is that you did or started to do to get through that moment. And are you doing that same thing now to get through this moment? Or could you?
1: Um, you know, it takes me back to my childhood. I, you know, I'm before I was, you know, I came to the US when I was 13 years old. So anytime before that, I was in Latin America. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I was born in Chile in towards the end of the dictatorship. And I grew up during kind of like all of the Chilean society grieving and getting over what had happened and For those of us who don't know what
0: happened, could you briefly describe what was it like to live under uh, Chilean dictatorship at that time? And what years?
1: From 1973, and then the transition happened, I want to say somewhere between 91 and 92. Um, You know, for a long time, there was curfews. You couldn't be outside past, you know, 4 Um, p.m. You know, tons of people, you know, back, you know, just like... um, just like you would hear, you know, in Chile, you have to register to vote. And when you register, you register under a party. So this kind of very right-wing military dictatorship that was funded by Nixon, grabbed all the all the list of voters that were registered for left-wing parties and started going after them and turning them into political prisoners. And there was a ton of death and violence and things like that. So uh, it was a total suppression of culture. And, and, you know, so when I was growing up, you know, music was back, theater, like people in Chile now really appreciate art, for example, because we didn't have it for so long, you know, Uh, so things like theater are are very valuable to us and and, and things like that, and um, so it takes me back to my childhood when Chile, you know, was changing, and Chile has always been kind of been the kingdom of free trade agreements with China, and in the 90s, the whole Asian economy tanked, which meant that the Chilean economy did too. And, and my dad was out of work. Um, and I must, when this started, I must have been, I, I want to say somewhere like five or six years old. And yeah. my dad went from having his own business to having to like hustle and try to figure it out, which eventually led to us coming to the U.S., because uh, that thing lasted for a while. But it, it reminded me of a time where we didn't quite have enough food in the house. And my mom would be like, we're going to have rice for this, uh, have dessert for lunch. And she would give us, like, a rice pudding. But it was because we had, like, milk and rice in the house. You know what I'm saying? But the, her her story was, like, that we were doing good, so we were going to get dessert today. But that's really all we had. Well, um, right. And I remember one night we got a knock on the door and... It was uh, a bunch of neighbors and a bunch of parents from our school that had gone to the supermarket and gotten a bunch of groceries and brought it to us, uh, to our house, so we could fill our pantry and our refrigerator. And I remember seeing that. And that's, what, that's when I understood that we were really struggling. And that uncertainty comes from, a, in, in moments like this, it, it really comes from a feeling of individual scarcity. Like I don't have shit. Right. I, I don't have anything. And we go to an extreme immediately. Like what if I find myself in a situation where I have to point a gun at my neighbor over a bottle of Thailand, right? Like, what if it gets that bad? So I realized that, that the fear came from individual scarcity and, and, and the total opposite of that is collective abundance It's community. And, and that's what those people showed me that night as a little kid, like, Hey, we have a little abundance. So we got all this stuff and we brought it so you could be okay too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, and it blew my mind. And it, you know, the other day I was thinking, what would I do, if, like if things get really bad, what can I do, right? Like what can I truly do to have an impact? And I was like, I would probably fill a backpack with uh, rubber gloves, mm-hmm. uh, some post-it notes, some pens, some Ziploc bags, and a bunch of cookies and two cardboard boxes. And I would go to a place on my block where all of my neighbors could see it, and I would label one of the boxes needs and the other one offerings. And then I would grab a sip with my gloves, and I would do all of this because social distancing and flattening the curve is the priority, right? So I would grab my Ziploc bags and write a little note that says, Hey, neighbor, I'm Chris. I live at this, this number. Uh, And I just want to make sure that if you need anything, you can put it in the box. Or if you have abundance of some resources, you can also put it there in case someone might need it. And every hour, I'm going to come check the box and make sure that folks have what they need. This is my number. Here's a cookie. I hope you're well. Uh, because I think in American society, cookies mean welcoming, you know, when you move into a middle class. <laughs> Cookie is the way to someone's heart if you've right. already gotten in. <laughs> right, there's a psychological thing there of like putting milks and cookies out for Santa, or when you move into a middle class neighborhood, they bring you cookies and they're like, welcome, you know, uh, and uh, things like that. So that's wait, why. Ho- I- wait, hold on.
0: I just, I just want to stay there for a moment. And yeah. I want to remember cookies and that cookies are the way. And, and you know, my, my partner, our first date, that's actually what sealed the deal. We were ending the date and we were at her apartment and she said, I made cookies um, last night, fresh. Would you like one? And I, I, I thought to myself, people do that? You made homemade cookies? Yeah. Yes. And, and I was in. I was in. That was it. That was all that was needed.
1: And also in a moment like this, for someone to leave a little Ziploc bag at your door and then you're like, wait, a cookie. And then you get to eat and you get a moment like in the middle of this whirlwind of stuff to really appreciate sweetness and then to read that message and and be like, oh, OK, somebody on this block has my back. Maybe I can have somebody's back, too. And we build collective abundance to oppose this feeling of individual scarcity. And we can have a system where everyone has what they need at any given time. So um that's what i that's what that's what i've been thinking about like in and, and and in my childhood i wish we we were better at having those moments you know so it that, it reminds me of my childhood and and i feel like now i'm at a you know i'm obviously an adult and have resources and and have a more independent course of action and i feel like i can engage with the things i wish i had a solution back then you know
0: yes yes that is um i really really appreciate you bringing in some sweetness um, some very simple specific things that could be done and really helping us to think about the difference and the relationship between individual scarcity and community abundance right and you know we have been talking about that and hearing about that in debates in the news in a bunch of things all around us the last year, but they don't come out and say individual scarcity and community abundance. They don't talk about sweetness and they don't talk about cookies. Instead, the phrases are Medicare for all and socialism and I'm a capitalist or I'm a socialist And well, libraries are great, but that's not socialism. This is the United States for crying out loud. And it's so interesting to me, how when we use certain words and certain vocabulary, the meaning behind them is so deep and can go and move people in so many different directions. And I don't think that we as a country really have sunk in with the idea that it's not the words that are moving you, It's the meaning behind them that's moving you. And if we could all have the same understanding of what we want and what we mean, then maybe we can start communicating effectively for what it is that is really crucially needed in this time. And so um, what do you think is um, going to happen in the future moving forward? Do you think... That um, you know, the current administration has the capacity to share or even acknowledge in abundance as a community.
1: No, I don't think there's ever. I don't think governments are created to take care of the people. I think governments are made to take care of those who hold jobs in government uh, and their friends. Um, <laughs> um, so I no, I have zero expectation. I. I mean, and also like coming from a country with a dictatorship, I don't think I'll ever believe that any government is ever going to really take care of me. Like our soldiers shot at their own people. Like that's a real thing that happened,
0: you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very, I mean, Uh, here we have our own police officers, you know, shooting and killing people. Right. We have folks who dress up. Um, as if they're in the military right now. And many of them are former military who, you know, are also groups of white supremacists and are out killing people right now. I mean, I feel, I feel like we have very similar things in common between where you grew up and where you currently live now. We do different things.
1: Yeah. So that we can be okay with them here. Right. So all the signs are there, you know, that, that there's, and, and also honestly, like it's, even if the government did something the the standard of operation of the current administration is so low that it wouldn't even begin to be to suffice right so and the election is coming way after this thing hits its apex which means which essentially puts us in a position where i need you to survive and you need me to survive Um, until november and no, beyond forever until we change the world. Oh and, my god. No pressure Chris thanks. But that's how it's been you know. It, we just don't realize it, right? We just collectively accept a reality without realizing that we could change it together. And 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 you know, and that's a huge generalization, right? There's different people who right, right, right. understand different things, right? Um but um I think that it's 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 time to accept that that it's up to us, and that we need to create systems that are localized to take care of each other. You know, what I proposed earlier is that it's a it's a half thought that, you know, things like that can be developed and replicated on a block by block basis, and and people can be taken care of. You know, we can we can have each other's back. You know, I don't need to know you to love you. It's like a real that quote is like a real thing. You know. Yes. Uh, yes. So. You, you know,
0: what's interesting to me is that you mentioned when you started talking about Chile, you started talking about how post-dictatorship, right, there was this massive cultural revolution. It, mm-hmm. it isn't just in Chile that we hear about that and, and know about that. It happened in Spain, too, right. after their dictatorship. And that seems to be what happens, right? So part of a dictatorship is a um, trimming, a getting rid of, a absolute machete, like get rid of the things that actually bring people together. And empower people and give them the possibility and opportunity to imagine a different way of living films do that television does that books do that music does that music allows us to not only imagine but when we have the guts and and the confidence, we get out on the dance floor or we're in our homes and we start dancing and we start doing different things with our body than we were doing before. And so culture has this ability to completely exercise our imaginations, not only in what is, but what could be, and then gets us to really try and go to that place. That's what makes culture and art so freaking dangerous. And yet after these, you know, regimes of fascism and totalitarianism, like, you have this massive cultural revolution. And right now we don't realize that we're in a COVID-19 moment, not just because of health reasons and a virus, but we got here, not just with the virus, but in the isolation and the fear and the lack of trust because of the fascism that we have going on in this country right now. And so I'm super excited about the idea that perhaps coming out of this We have a massive cultural revolution again because we understand the importance of that. Here we have been for the last three years, coming together, watching films, dancing, concerts, doing all the things to get through this current administration's time. Mm -hmm. And yet in the most critical moment right now, that is the one thing we cannot do. And I hear people struggling with that the most. I just wanna be around people. I just want to touch somebody again. I just want to be held. I just want to hug that person. I just want to be in in physical proximity with another person because that's how I made it the last few years. And now it's gotten worse. And that's the exact thing that I cannot do. So Chris, I want you to imagine that it's five years into the future and it's 2025. Everyone around you is five years older everything around you is five years older. And you're five years older and you're with community. Maybe you're with your neighbors. Maybe you're with coworkers. Maybe you're with family. And you find yourself saying out loud, you know, I'm actually really grateful for the pandemic because at least now I or we have blank. How would you imagine you would finish that sentence? It's 2025. You know, I'm actually grateful for the pandemic, because at least now I or we have what.
1: I don't even know if I would even say that. To be honest, from the beginning, uh, it may. I don't know if I should just engage with the exercise, but or with the question in in. Do in both. The, well, because part of me is like I I've seen people die like with my own eyes, plenty of times, unfortunately, and. And I, I don't think I could ever be grateful for something that takes even one life. Um, so there, there's something there that puts my heart in conflict. Um, uh, I, though moving beyond it, I would say, because now we have awareness. I feel like this this virus is almost like getting drunk, where it, it shows you who you really are. It really brings out your personality. And, <laughs> and then everybody's like and then you're like wow i'm really shitty you know um and i feel like that's happening to the country like we're really really everyone is getting a real like like the usa is getting exposed right like we're the greatest freest country in the world bullshit bro bullshit and everybody's seeing it it's trending on twitter so um i think that we'll have awareness we'll have awareness that that like wow we're really not that hot like there's a lot of work that we need to do we we need to like our standards need to move way up right like we've been commodified into this narrative of being the greatest freest country in the whole world and and the amendments and all the bullshit. yo we don't have enough beds we don't. Have, there's nurses in New York who're wrapping themselves with fucking trash bags.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Greatest freest country, come on. So I think that I, I would be grateful for awareness.
0: Thank you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, why? Why apologize? This this is a show and a conversation about honesty, and if the most trying and the most testing of our humanity's time at the very least if at the bare minimum we can't be honest then we can move nowhere if we cannot be honest with how we feel what's going on and what we need then anything that comes afterwards is not going to actually be what we need right so I appreciate and I'm grateful and I thank you for your honesty, your insight, your wisdom, your everything in this moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't wait to keep talking and keep learning and figuring out how this story is going to play out with you in it. Uh, this has been there done that your pandemic survival minute this is felicia perez stay well and stay here